Yeah, so Shauna and I have been uh, dreaming up our ideal dog for when we get a dog, <laughs> perhaps in the next year. And the um, what we came up with was twin Italian greyhounds, what? which are gray, yeah. and we'll call them the Mirror Boys. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Um, because it'd be cool. And w- they'd be like little aliens, what, and they would. What was the process for whittling the, down all the breeds to this? Was there like an online, uh, like well, you know, input your genetics here? <laughs> <laughs> Submit a DNA sample. Um, no the the process was what dog looks the most like an alien. And, um, <laughs> Greyhounds are definitely up there. Yeah. And so they'd be the mirror boys and they would live in a translucent plastic bubble. Um, and they would probably have names. Um, <laughs> they would probably have names. That's that's the whole sentence. <laughs> they may not, but uh, probably they will. I don't know. But then also it's like deciding the name of the dog is basically deciding what random words are you going to yell out in public when your dog does something wrong like if you're if you're if your dog's name for instance is nice to meet you and your dog <laughs> goes out and you know steals something or runs too far away you got to go hey nice to meet you <laughs> so uh this is the sort of conversation we have when we're trying to figure it out Muhammad and I have also been thinking about our dream dog, um, but that is super on hold now that we have adopted two kittens. Um, it is yeah. still our our trial adoption. Oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah. I is so is that more like fostering uh, before adoption? Technically, at the moment, we're fostering, but the idea was was slash is i guess for us to be their forever home but they're like it's so stressful because they're kind of teenagers and they were rescued off the street so they have all the baggage and it's hard to tell if they're ever gonna love us or if they're ever gonna feel (laughs) safe enough in the home for us to bring in a dog which like that's the ideal goal but I don't want to um, to have a cat where I'm basically saying, like, you're going to have to spend the rest of your life cowering under the bed because there's a dog around. Or, you know, because there are people around. It's a whole process. Well, my uh, – so Ginger uh, is the newest – Ginger the dog is the newest in my household. And there are two cats that – my roommates have and they've had for like 10 years and ginger's been around for like four years and they don't get along whatsoever oh no and and how is that it seems like it seems like it sucks for the cats oh i see i don't like that i don't like that yeah it's tricky 
it's not even a matter of time, huh? It's more a matter of personality. Yeah. Yeah. William, why, as excited I, as I am for you at the prospect of getting a dog, why am I also just immensely terrified for the dog? <laughs> with names like, with well, names like uh, nice to meet you and... and or one these. half of the mirror boys. Yeah. <laughs> the left half of name. the mirror boys. <laughs> uh, well, also the, the other thing that's fun about Italian greyhounds is there is a like fashion scene around them oh my god um like you can like there are all of these uh boutique (laughs) greyhound uh sweater makers because of the way that they look and because they're so cold and skinny and creepy looking you gotta put something just like human models (laughs) (laughs) yeah whoa i didn't even think that far but yeah well i was just thinking like humans will take anything tall and skinny and call it fashion (laughs) (laughs) the only knock against the italian greyhound idea of the of having the mirror boys is that um uh kylie jenner just got two italian greyhounds and that's all i'll say (laughs) <laughs> That's just like making you think about what is it on the Venn diagram that connects you to Kylie Jenner. What are your characteristics? Yeah, that cause. That I want to distance happen? myself from that sort of celebrity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking as a celebrity. <laughs> wow, the Mirror anyway. Boys. Anyway, let's do a <laughs> podcast. Let's do it. And welcome to another episode of EdTech Cafe, a podcast series produced by the educational technology team at Stanford Medicine. Our team sits at the intersection of art, science, and education, and in this space, we'll sit down with other media and production-savvy professionals to discuss how they use their talents to support science and improve educational outcomes across the globe. I'm Jessica Whittemore, joined by my fuzzy co-hosts, William Bettini and Andrew Beck. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. I had pets on the brain. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you haven't shaved. Uh, And on today's episode, we'll be joined by Bindu Madhava, who is a video production member of our team. And tell us, what do we have to uh, look forward to in our interview with him today? We have quite a bit to look forward to, but even even after an hour of talking, I don't think we got to uh, even like 10% of Bindu's life and career. I agree. Yeah, but I mean, given that the guy has so much video production experience, I, I really wanted to keep talking about all the film lore, cinephilia, the, you know, all that, all that discussion in the beginning that, um, yeah, honestly, like as a film lover myself, I could just keep talking about with him all day. Right. But I want to talk to him more about like family and being an immigrant. I just think he has like such a rich story 
and such a wonderful outlook on life. And I want to learn from him. That's why there's possibly a season two. Woohoo! Maybe we'll bring him back. Wouldn't that be a treat? Hey. A hey. treat? A treat? <laughs> Did someone say treat? A treat. A treat of the day. A treat of the day. Treat of the day. Treat of the day. William, you're not singing. That's what I'm going to call the treat. I'm sorry. I was thinking about the Mirror Boys. Um, <laughs> my speculative dog twins. <laughs> Do they have to be boys? No. <laughs> yeah, so that's nice. The, uh, the treat of the day is our segment where... Our creative director, William Bettini, tells us something interesting that's on his mind that he's been thinking about this week. And it can be any flavor. It can be sour. It can be salty. It can be sweet as hell. What do you got for us today, William? <laughs> um, my treat of the day. You know, I have so many things on my mind. I feel... I feel like the hardest part of my week um, is picking the treat of the day because oh, there's no. so many things to talk about. <laughs> uh, no, for real. You know, there's so many crazy things. Uh, my treat of the day, I think the flavor is spongy. <laughs> that's not a flavor. That's a texture. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then it's salt water. Uh, like... <laughs> Oh, a very specific flavor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I was thinking about this year and what I've been up to this year. There's so many things I can't really share that I've been up to. But um, in terms of just like things I've read, things I've watched, and it's been a strange year because a lot of a lot of things got delayed or pushed into next year like movie wise and show wise. Um, but one thing that I have been enjoying for the entire year is this Facebook group called every SpongeBob frame in order. <laughs> have I shared this with you before? No. I maybe. So what it is, <laughs> it's, it's an account uh, or it's a page rather that posts every single still frame of the entire uh, animated series Spongebob Squarepants in order. They post about 25 frames an hour. <laughs> and you can go see them all. It, right now they're on season six, episode four, um, which is uh, Spongebob's driving school goes on a class field trip to the Museum of Boating. Um, I've never even seen this episode. I kind of like stopped watching SpongeBob, you know, I don't know, a few years in. But I've always loved it. Uh, and this episode, it's not like a great episode. But taken out of context, each of these frames of this show have the potential to be incredible, fun things that a bunch of people can come together around to blow off steam or make 
memes or um, other things. And I think it's because like, like as a show drawn by hand, seeing the show in a context without motion, without like the access of time, you get to see, I, I don't know, you it's a completely new context. So like you'll get to see frames where um, the animators decided to draw somebody in a close up with extreme extra detail, like as a contrast to the otherwise simple drawing. Or you'll get to see like a frame that is like a frame um, of a cross dissolve between scenes where you'll see like SpongeBob's face semi-transparent superimposed on top of like Squidward's head or something like that. Or one of my favorite things is when you see a still frame that includes motion smearing, which is an animation only uh, version of um, motion blur where to convey speed, the animator adds extra limbs or extra eyeballs like in the path of motion, <laughs> um, which is essentially invisible when you're watching um, in animation um, in real time played out 24 frames per second. Yeah. But seeing as a still, it's kind of like a beautiful, bizarre piece of artwork. Um, and this page is super popular. There's, I think, a million people. Oh, wow. Uh, follow it. It's been going on for over a year, and there are a bunch of other ones. Um, every Sp every Simpsons frame in order, every Tom and Jerry frame in order. Those are some big ones. It's really fun. It's like it, it really is like a little bit of like levity um, every day, and the experience of going through these pages is sort of like digging through old records or old photographs. Like ninety percent of them aren't going to be interesting to anybody. But there are occasional frames where uh, like the community just blows up around them because they're super funny. It's like uh, it, like Patrick uh, is spit roasting his own pants and he's going to eat them. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I was just thinking about like why why is this interesting to me? And I think it's, you know, partially, you know, there's just not a lot of new things to look forward to this year. And uh, partially, I think it's because, like, this, like, remix culture that we've been living in for the last, I don't know, 20 years, probably, at least 10 years. It's all about community. And I, and I feel like there's a real sense of community around these, like, little art projects of posting every frame of spongebob in order it is an art project and it is a community space even though it's a weird goofy space so i wanted to uh just bring up like you know community projects or community spaces uh as something to talk about maybe see see what uh sort of communities or uh art projects you you two have been following this year maybe just talk about that i mean i i like you i i, I haven't Really, aside from maybe like a handful of movies, I haven't really been absorbing any new content or following any new pages or anything like that. But I will credit you, William, for showing me 
basically this rabbit hole of Facebook where these different groups would um, memify or take apart um, different shows um, that I've that I've enjoyed. So, for example, um, mm. back in 2017 when Twin Peaks season three was coming out, you pointed me to Twin Peaks log posting. Sometimes they call themselves Twin Peaks shit posting, um, where they basically post up a bunch of memes from the show or uh, trivia or anything like that. Um, and it, it definitely does like add a new dimension to the show um, or just to the movie or whatever um, the group might be following. Um, and the community part is also very great because the comments are always hilarious. I mean, you get some, sometimes a, a meme is posted and then it's followed up with just a series of more memes um, or gifts mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and it, yeah, I, I think that's like the one thing besides events, probably the one thing that keeps me hooked on Facebook is the groups and the pages. Um, whether it's yeah. Twin Peaks or I also follow a, uh, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia log or posting page because yeah, they, it really does have this communal um, vibe to it. What about you, Jess? Well, this has made me a little sad. I feel like I've been retreating from a lot of my communities because they're so heavily in person um, between like in-studio yoga and theater, which is, of course, a live in-person um, thing. A lot of the theater groups that I've worked with are trying to do, not even trying, are succeeding in doing online community things, but I, it feels so different to me. I don't get out of it what I got out of live theater. And so I haven't, I've, I've been retreating from that. Um, there's a, a group, actually a group that I did my most recent show with, where I have a lot of friends in the group. Every Thursday, they're reading a play together. And Everyone in them seems to be having so much fun. Uh, I did one, and it just stressed me out, even though it it's, like, literally zero stakes. It's basically negative stakes, um, and you don't have to memorize <laughs> anything. <laughs> like, you're just reading it. Um, but I don't – it wasn't fun for me, and I don't like watching uh, theater over yeah. Zoom. So I haven't been – supporting my friends as they're doing online performances. Um, I, I don't, I feel very out of all of that. Of course I did, uh, get married, move into a house. There's like a lot going on. Yeah. Life happened. Whereas William and I are retreating online. (laughs) But also like shelter in place has just been weird. So every year I do a reading challenge through Goodreads and basically every year I'm behind schedule the whole time. I say like, I'm going to read 40 Mm -hmm. books. And then most of the year I'm behind between one and like four books. 
and then I catch up over winter break and I (laughs) just barely make my goal uh, right at New Year's. But this year, in April, for first time ever, I was four books ahead of schedule because of Shelter in Place. I was reading a lot more. And uh, I just realized that I am currently 10 books behind schedule. Like, I don't even know oh, what happened. Whoa. Wow. I don't even know. It's just like, I don't know. Time is weird now. And I don't know. I don't know what I like anymore. Time is weird. I've been watching yeah. a lot of Design on a Dime, and I feel like I know the hosts now, and that's my new community. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's cool. <laughs> hey, it you is, know, uh, it's very early 2000s, so the fashion is like chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I feel so weird about like Zoom events and things like that. I'm just not into it whatsoever i don't want to be on zoom after work you know uh no, and my eyes hurt i want to be i like literally can we not my eyes hurt so oh, yeah. much don't get me started on Ugh. that i did read i'm reading the last book of that three body problem uh series that you mm-hmm. recommended i'm and i'm loving the last book but i mean to speak about like community I have nobody to talk to about these books because um, if you're not familiar, the three body problem series of science fiction books is sort of, if you're going to say in one sentence what it was, it's like aliens are coming to invade planet earth 400 years in the future and uh, stuff happens. It's yep. like so hard to talk about it. <laughs> I can't even. I can't talk to Shauna about it. My fiance. I, I. I just say, oh, the string is back, and she has no idea what I'm saying, <laughs> and I don't know what I'm saying. I. I don't know. I, I will say <laughs> to that point, though. Um, I. I always. I mean, I'm sure you guys know, um, but just to let my listeners know is that I. I have. I have a very deep admiration and passion for strange and obscure art house movies um, that most of the world's population probably hasn't heard of. Um, And personally, honestly, that's what I have been feeling, I would say, most of my cinephile life um, is this lack of community, at least in real life. And I I know that I wouldn't be alone in saying this in that the internet i mean it's it's not only raised like a whole new generation of just like film critics or um things like that but just like general film enthusiasts um and my passion for film actually really started online obviously i I loved watching movies but Mm -hmm. it really started once after i started reading voraciously reading roger ebert's film reviews I then turned to um, one of his editors, um, Jim Emerson, who doesn't actively post anymore, but he used to have this blog called Scanners where he would he would basically blog um, about just movies or um, or about his own personal life, et cetera. And the community around that was actually what really drew me. First and foremost, his writing, for sure, but... The community was was amazing, and that I would say was the first step uh, t- 
towards even now um, just using the internet and using online resources as kind of that community to fill in the the lack of that same community in real life. So I, w- I would I would say that like shelter in place, COVID-19 hasn't dramatically changed that aspect for me as much. But I would say if you really are looking for it, you can find it online. Like the discussion in, in the comments section or something like that for, exactly. for these uh, write-ups? I remember one of his, uh, one of Jim Emerson's like biggest, most viral um threads or posts was when he <laughs> was when he lambasted the dark knight in 2008 and even today if you search jim emerson like the suggested searches um or hits would <laughs> show up jim emerson the dark knight <laughs> and i remember the uh you know it was just this crazy back and forth that was going on at the time of like dark knight defenders or dark knight critics um, and that was one of those times I remember, uh, when I was like, wow, it can really like film discussion can really pop off and become viral in and of itself. You know, I have joined one community <laughs> through zoom because Andrew invited me <laughs> to his friend's online book club, which I've now been to twice, though Andrew has yet to make an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we've read two books and had super rich discussions, uh, for me with complete strangers, uh, over zoom and it was super cool. really nice. Yeah. I miss that sort of thing, which I like really loved in undergrad and then haven't done since cause I've never been in an actual book club. Um, so that's something that I definitely would not have done if not for shelter in place, um, which I don't know if it's like super community because I don't know everyone's names, um, but it's been fun to talk about a shared thing. So, William, we can talk about three body problem later. <laughs> Did I'll you read the last book? Yeah, I read all of them. Um, I just I remember okay, great. not liking I'm gonna the race last to read it. Much, but Okay, and I'll uh, refresh my memory. I'll look back through my highlights. Well, you know what? Um, Kind of to uh, tie some things together. um, I, Andrew and I recently were just sharing a little bit about like bad reviews, like the pleasure, the schadenfreude of of reading a bad review is so... So it's so it's so <laughs> very satisfying. Like oh. the like the belated bad review for Love Actually that now I reread every year. Send that to me, please. <laughs> this is the I time will. to read it too. There's a a famous uh blog post on Jezebel about how Love Actually actually sucks. <laughs> oh, you know what? My sister uh last Christmas, my sister uh had me watch that with her while we were hanging around the house. And uh, she was like, I love this movie. And uh, as we were watching it, we were both like, this movie's terrible. We were like, wait, (laughs) do I love this movie? Yeah. The uh, spell, whatever spell was cast to make that movie good has worn off. Correct. That is accurate. My college roommate just was like, I'm watching Love Actually and Missing You. And I was like... 
we don't do that here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you the, guys um, were you guys were um, talking down Zoom events and having a little bit of Zoom fatigue, but I think I think it's because a lot of those events are really just like one person or maybe just a panel of people talking to you. And, you know, some people don't mind just sitting back and listening, but I, I know I'm definitely one person who wants to chime in with questions or comments of my own. And mm-hmm. when you don't have the space to do that, you really just kind of lose that communal aspect, right? Which I think like uh, something like the book club can do if it's small enough. Yeah, feel free to show up, Andrew. <laughs> well, that just goes to show you like what I am like as a reader is that I can't keep up. I'm a very slow reader, but I'm I'm zooming through these uh um three body books. I I think uh you know, I feel like with the every frame of SpongeBob in order page, I feel like every comment section is a little book club. You know, it's sort of like a, a miniature version of that. Like when when there's a really, really funny frame, it's like your chance to stand up and contribute something to like make other people laugh in the group. I love that. I feel like um, the closest thing I have to that in my real life in the physical world <laughs> is um, going to see the room at midnight viewings (laughs) which it i've done probably 20 times and uh like every time it's like there's the ritual of like yeah you know uh there are all of these like uh audience participation gags that everyone knows to participate in watching the room which is the worst best movie of all time like um uh, whenever there's a random shot of uh, San Francisco, you yell, meanwhile in San Francisco. <laughs> or when you notice that the props person didn't take out all of the placeholder photographs of spoons from all of the picture <laughs> frames, you yell spoons and throw plastic spoons at uh, uh, at each other in the audience. And then there's just like all of the like moments that where there aren't audience participation things established where you can try out new material and it's really fun and uh i don't know i miss that i miss that kind of community art space in real life a lot of times these spaces i don't know if this is true for the spongebob group but i mean the other um uh tv show or i'm, I'm even part of like a book related uh group on facebook um, I, I feel like none of these groups are ever like toxic in the way that we think of social media as toxic and very judgmental and acrimonious and stuff. Um, I, I feel like, like you said, William, when people have the space to chime in in the comment section, it's like no one, no one seems to respond to that comment with like, oh, wait, but actually, I mean, uh. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're actually positive spaces. I mean, if they're administered properly, moderated and all that. But it's true. Ninety percent of the time, it's either it's either like a waste of time, or like, um, or it's just a bunch of like <laughs> posting. <laughs> I'm sorry if this treat of the day was a little bit too spongy, but uh, <laughs> just something on my mind. I think that all of that 
community and art comes from it being a well-conceived show made out of love and people respond to that. I would like to say that the SpongeBob uh, musical is also well-conceived and made out of love. It's actually really cool. Have either of you watched no, it? No, I really I want think, to. I think I saw it's it available twice. for streaming. But it's really? it's like the, yeah, so they actually filmed it for streaming, which makes it so nice. Um, but the, like, cartoony aspect of it is so well done. And the lead guy playing SpongeBob, I just looked it up. He's His good. name is Ethan Slater. Yeah. He is, like, all the crazy stuff that SpongeBob does, he is doing, too. He's super flexible, and the, like, <laughs> physicality of that role is insane. Um, but most importantly, does he have the laugh down? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure that's, like, the first thing in the audition. Like, do your SpongeBob. Shauna and I saw that in 2017 when it was in previews. I I was in New York with her, and we were trying to brainstorm what to do we were like should we go see the blue man group <laughs> no and we, somehow we decide somehow we ended up on spongebob and we we're like we're gonna go see this it's gonna be a train wreck spongebob <laughs> the musical what a joke and then we walk and then we got there and we and the set is incredibly beautiful and inventive it's all like made out of sort of like if you imagine a bunch of the trash that people throw in the ocean was used to construct the world of Bikini Bottom, it's gorgeous <laughs> um, and so creative. And then the musical itself is like shockingly um, uh, well-conceived and um, timely and yeah. has its heart in the right place. And uh, I loved it so much that we saw it twice. Yep, I agree. SpongeBob always has his heart in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's so good. Well, we should probably bring out our, uh, our main event. Esteemed guest. Yes. The one and only. The one and only. He's been, but he's... He's been in this person-sized cake for over 40 minutes. What Maybe we should let him out. This saltwater sponge cake? Ooh. <laughs> saltwater sponge He's cake. supposed to burst out when we give him the cue. Bindu, that's your cue. It's <laughs> <laughs> all me. I had a bad, I've had a terrible month, I guess month and a half, but it's okay. Yeah, it's good that you're still here with us. <laughs> on Earth, you mean? Yeah, on yeah, Earth. That's a, that's a Dude, way to put that. I mean, when you said ER emergency, that you got in an accident, that you're tr- being treated for concussion. Dude, I had some pretty bad thoughts. <sighs> yeah, that was yeah. a horrible day. Yeah, I was worried about... COVID coming for Williams again, but that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's scary and weird because, um, the, like the case numbers are, um, 
here in New York are where they were in April, but like none of the lockdown orders that were um, in effect back then are happening now. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're you're seeing um, a new in like the same amount of people getting sick, which was like you know like twenty thousand people died here in April, and and the same thing is going to happen. But um, it seems like everyone's too tired to care about closing down the shops, and um, I don't know. Sorry, it's such a bummer, but it, it's it's disturbing. You know, it's like we're living in a fantasy world. Exactly right. I, I you know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, or worse, we do know what's going to happen tomorrow. Thousands more people are going to die of COVID yeah, in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, good positive thing is, you know, something good news of the vaccine coming into place. We hope so. Yeah. It will be a success and then, uh, you know, less people die. Did uh did everyone take that little survey that tells you like what place in line you are to get the vaccine? Yes. No, was that no. was that real? I thought that was a joke. I mean, it, it it's not like the official thing, but yeah, it's but like it's an estimate. A, yeah, it's like uh an estimate. New York I think it's on New York Times website. And you enter a little bit of information about yourself, you know, what you do, are you like a, a first responder or, or emergency medicine person, uh, or, or are you a teacher? What's your age? Do you have any like health risks that would um, affect, you know, how COVID affects you? And then it will tell you your place in line. Um, I know what number I got. What number did you get, Jess? I got the same number that Mike got, who is our... Uh older coworker in Vermont. So I think that pretty much if I if you don't have pre-existing condition and you're not in um in an essential role that you pretty much get the same spot. I would think. Let's see. It, well, it was, was exactly what he put. Oh, I don't remember now. Like 267.8 million or something. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I was uh 147 millionth in line. <laughs> oh. So what I'm was, ahead of you. What's the mitigating factor there, do you think? I think it's that I live in New York. Yeah. It's it's New York. Yeah. So we got a long, long wait in line. It's okay. We got all the time in the world with lockdown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the longest I ever waited in line... Well, I can think of three really long times. The first time was to wa- to go to see The Matrix in movie theaters. I waited for like eight hours in line oh to get a God. good spot. And everybody was dressed up like Neo and Trinity. And, and this was uh, before they had assigned seating, I bet. He, yeah. <laughs> the second time uh, I waited really long in line was to get tickets to go see the Dalai Lama. Um, the Dalai Lama was speaking at Berkeley, um, and basically everyone in Berkeley wanted to go see the Dalai Lama. 
So uh, that was a 12 hour wait. Um, Bindu, what are you opening up over there? <laughs> I'm just putting all this stuff aside. Hearing a lot of static. <laughs> yeah, it was like a plastic, this one. I just pushed it out, you know. So, Making some room, clearing some space. Yeah, you know, just I don't want that static sound for which Andrew hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Please think of the editor always. Oh, of course. So we are so excited to have Bindu Madava with us here today. He is um, actually one of the newest members to our team, but he's been um, at Stanford working on video production for a long time. So getting you here has been uh, just like a wave of experience all at once. So our guest today is Bindu. He's a digital media producer at Stanford EdTech. Before coming to Stanford in the late 90s, Bindu was working on audiovisual production in various capacities throughout the Bay Area with particular emphasis on live event capture. Prior to arriving in the Bay Area in the early 90s, he started and managed the first video production company in his hometown in Bangalore, India, where he managed dozens of filmmakers in the production of ads, on-air commercials, and corporate videos. Welcome, Bindu. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you very much. Uh, I would like to thank Jessica, William, and Andrew for inviting me to this exciting technology-driven podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> it's pretty low-tech, Bindu. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. We're, we're a basic podcasting group. <laughs> this is fantastic. I love it. I love it, you know. <laughs> Go well, ahead. We're so glad to have you here because, like I said, you have so much experience that doing film shoots with you, I I learn so much every time uh, we work on anything, and it's always a joy. So can you tell us what drew you to video production in the first place? Wow, that's, a, that's going back about long back in India, Bangalore, where I was born. So let me tell a history of my family. My family is from theater background, mainly my grandfather, whose name is Gopinath Das. He's the one who started in maybe 30s, uh, the drama, storytelling and all those things, and then changed to the theatrical productions. So, I was involved in this and then I saw some light, sound recording and everything he started. And then uh, in 70, I, I think 70 end and 80 beginning, in India, video cameras were slowly coming in. Um, I was very much impressed about the video image moving around, you know telling the stories. I saw some small documentaries, of course, you know, uh, as a kid, you know, Disney was the one. We used to go to the movie theater and see Disney movies, you know, the movement, storytelling. Those things are all the one which made me interest to come up with movement. I used to take pictures and I thought, you know, telling story with 24 frames per second, 
was pretty good, you know. Then I thought, okay, mm-hmm. I need to learn something about this. And when you say you took pictures, you're talking about film photography, right? None of this digital, yeah, digital still stuff that the young kids are into these days? Exactly right. You know, still photography, you know. At that time, even today, India, you know, the market is Nikon, is the market for India, even today for the oh, still wow. photographers. Uh, even Canon has come, you know, Sony's have come. Uh, it is the uh, Nikons even today at, in India. So I used to take pictures, you know, small camera pictures and started very slowly, even even photography, like, you know, weddings, birthday parties. I was a kid, you know, going with my lot of my friends, just taking pictures. And then that's how I learned. And then I made it very seriously when the video started coming in 80s. And then uh, I still remember it was a VHS tape which came, you know, loading a VCR was separate and the camera was separate. There was a cable going oh, from yeah. the camera to, this. you remember that, the deck. And then I need to hit the recording and play button on the on the VCR, its video cassette recorder. And then, you know, the camera used to focus and, you know, it was a lot of fun. And I have messed up a lot of things. I have forgotten to hit the recording and I was shooting something, <laughs> but nothing was recorded because I did not hit the record. <laughs> See, that's how the learning process uh, was then, seeing the technology from there. And then slowly 16 millimeter came. Like, you know, it was very expensive. Film was very expensive in India. Um, mainly 16 millimeter when I saw the camera and everything. I played with two or three one, but I was not so much interested in a 16 millimeter because this video came and just, you know, overtook 16 millimeter like a wave. Mm. And then when I, in the school also doing some video for school and everything, because at that time school was having a video camera and you know, it was very hard to touch the video camera. Not everyone can touch the video camera because it was expensive. And then, you know, what I did is, uh, I would like to mention my teacher and my guru. Uh, His name is G.S. Baskar. Uh, He was the second unit cameraman for Attenborough's Gandhi, which was shot in India and got the Oscars. Richard Attenborough? Yes, Richard oh, wow. Attenborough's Gandhi, you know. Wow. If you have seen Gandhi, he was the second unit cameraman. And he's from Bangalore. Oh, and wow. can you describe what a second unit director does? Uh, he's a second unit cameraman. Okay. So basically what he does at that time, I think the second unit cameraman is totally different than the first unit or the third unit. So what he did that in second unit camera answering your question is normally in the olden days, they a big budget picture. There were like three to four cameras running at the same time. Even if it is a dialogue oriented, uh, they used to do a 180 degree shot, close shot, wide shot, roll at the same time. Of course it was film and it was only Western films that was done. So that's why 
he the name came as for him a second unit cameraman and he basically he said he was one of the main cameramen like you know doing the nice. procession 30000 people you know when gandhi died there was a procession and all those things happened and uh, he did that uh, more than me telling <laughs> i would love to bring him one day to this podcast and tell him to talk about gandhi you know oh yeah i would uh, love to hear yeah he will be the best man to tell more detail what he did and everything and uh, and he did and he was a director also uh you know doing small films in india so i was fortunate to get in touch with him and learned a lot of stuff steps from him you know how the entire camera world works how the entire film world works and that's why i wanted to mention him you know i cannot forget what he has taught me bindu how did you get in touch with him how did he become your mentor uh basically you know uh that was a funny thing uh he he knows our family pretty well and we know our their his family pretty well and uh like one fine day you know i wanted to do a documentary and then i was thinking whom should i get as a cameraman and somebody told hey you know gs basker i said i don't know him hey your family knows and then it was my brother who was acting in a movie one, one he acted only in one movie and he said oh i know basker i can introduce to you and then you know that was the introduction my brother you know introduced him and then that's that's history now so <laughs> and then you know i was like when he talked with me i was like man i don't know anything because i was a event photographer videographer i was not knowing about lighting you know the soft light tada all those things i was not knowing at all when he talked and he said these are the things i want to shoot a documentary and that day i thought okay and then i told him you know whenever you do your productions please get me as an assistant like a third assistant four assistant i'm going to carry your tripod in everywhere <laughs> and i want to see that that's what that's what i did and and he was laughing why why what do you want then he was so nice and he did open the doors for me and he took me a lot of places and i saw him and he taught me and we did a lot of production i produced a lot of uh, uh television serials uh mainly documentaries for corporate and he was the man behind behind me as a technical person i would say teaching me everything and uh, that's how you know i learned step by step and still i'm learning you know still i learned from william and you know and <laughs> you guys you know no still i'm learning because you know that, that that's how i think uh, yeah. uh to learn and uh, get some knowledge about anything you know film technology medicine anything so uh, that's how i came up and uh, that's where the video production uh, you know passion came for me and uh, so and shooting lot of theatrical productions in india did lot of theatrical productions and my wife you know is a dancer did lot of uh, dance production learned from her how to you know shoot a dance when she's you know doing that 
and of course saw a lot of other you know french movies uh, of course hollywood movies you know uh, asian movies uh, learn from their techniques you know how, how they tell the story how they do the you know production and everything and that's what about how, what about bollywood because i'm sure you know it, uh-huh. it has one of the largest film industries in the world so exactly like bollywood that's huge let me tell you bollywood when i was like doing productions and everything there was a movie called janak janak payal baje uh i recommend anybody to see this movie uh, language is not a problem it's all it's a dance and music movie and the director name is v shantaram uh the imagination that shantaram has caught and he has shown in his in that movie is unimaginable Mm. so it's all colors it's all colors he when when he talks he tells you know when i close my eyes and see this story of coloring and everything and that's how he brought up on the silver screen at that time there was no television it was only it was cinema scope yeah uh, it was done very well the music the cinematography the the storytelling of two dancers two artists you know it's olden age it was very well done and the another director his name is govind nilhani uh he also worked for gandhi atanbaras gandhi uh i think so and he did a web series i think it was in 80s it is called thamas t a m a s I don't know if it if you can find on the YouTube uh it was on Indian independence mm. uh that was the first television i would say which was uh done pretty well web series it's like a document at that time there was not called they would they would call a documentary or a short film or something there was four five uh series of that very well made uh the he has shown what happened uh on in the time of independence you know the brutality and everything that's why that television show was broadcast on mm. television after 10 pm because they did not want kids to wow. see wow and very well done um the storytelling is fantastic So did you stay up late to try to watch yes, it or Yes, we, yeah, of course. Uh we all loved that one. We were, you know, watching that late night. Every week it used to come for I think it was eight uh episodes or 10 episodes. I don't remember that. But that was man, you know, as a Indian director, I think I would say first movie to shoot as is what happened. Oh, wow. So that was a good, you know, his um I would say you know these are the two uh people that you know that I saw and there are a lot of people you know uh directors who tell stories uh there are bollywood movies there are two categories of bollywood movies one is like you know a box office bollywood it's all like you know you people have seen people dancing laganful mm-hmm. yeah there you go you know <laughs> <laughs> uh all those styles those are all box office it you know 
The producer puts millions of dollars on that and he wants to get that millions of dollars, that star cast and that other thing. The other side is, you know, like Shantarams or Govindilani's, they are like totally a different style. Theirs is also, you know, they have also a box office, but not like this commercial box, box office uh, movies. Uh, that's Bollywood and as you know, is one of the biggest industries in the world and uh, more than uh, 500 to 600 movies comes out every year or more than that. I don't know how much it comes. I wow. think from sheer numbers, I think I think it even overtakes Hollywood in some oh, yeah. respects. I think it, it has more ticket admissions. I think mm-hmm. it turns out more movies every year, um, those kinds of things. Yeah, and also think about this. You need to entertain 1.3 billion people in India. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... That's a huge market. Let me tell you, that's a huge market. But one thing, yeah. if you don't tell the story right, even if it's a commercial offbeat or anything, I'm sorry, people won't see it. That's good thing, one thing in India. Mainly in the urban area, that's where you know you get the money out very fast. Um, uh, if this, if the, uh, that's what has happened now. Every single day I see a production happening. Uh, and you know because of this ott channel you know where they were streaming like you know netflix amazon even in india they have got th- hundreds of channels opened mm-hmm. so that's how bollywood uh, i would say you know it's a huge market and uh, let me tell you for hollywood bollywood is a huge market i can because when i used to be in india i used to see every hollywood movie I was not even seeing who is the actor, you know, who is the director. Yeah. I was not even knowing. I could not <laughs> even spell their names. But, you know, that's what it is. You know, we used to go and see. And that magic on the big screen that Hollywood used to do. Oh, my God. We were like blown out by seeing that. Like, you know. Uh, do you have any just, particular movies that you remember being uh, blown away by? Uh, it was... Uh, what what was that? Uh, Ride, uh, Riders of the Last Ark, and then <laughs> of course, and then I would say, uh, Guns of Neverun. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Guns of Neverun, and I have seen that. I have you know, and uh, you know all those you know, most of uh, Chuck Norris. You know, most of Chuck Norris movies, we, were, <laughs> we love Chuck Norris. And people, Sounds like you, know, you were a big action geek. Yeah, you know, action geek, of course, you know. Uh, everything, you know, all all types of movies. You know, Ben-Hur, you know. Ben-Hur was yeah. action mm-hmm. and drama. And, you know, um, uh, Forced and for Neverend and Magnificent Seven Men. You know, my, my parents, my dad used to take that to movies and everything. And, uh, you know, a lot of great movies we have seen, you know, uh, mainly when we were young, you know, we, you know, we love action movies, you know, seeing, you know, we, we, we were thinking, wow, man, America is like that. This, this. <laughs> and then, you know, we were thinking. Guns are blazing. Explosions yeah, we, everywhere. Everywhere. What, man, this building is like that. And this car <laughs> comes and opens the door. We were all talking like, you know, uh, it was fun there at that time to imagine things uh it was only hollywood can do that you know i feel like uh i feel like 
the Bollywood movies I've seen, I mostly have only seen action movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Bollywood takes it a step further than any action movie I've seen made in the U.S. Just like, like, I it seems like they're not afraid to do uh, like over the top crazy stunts and and like things like I I I don't even think I've ever seen anything as crazy as what I see in a Bollywood movie. It's really <laughs> fun to watch. That's that's nice to hear from you, William. You know, wow. You know, I have heard like you know people saying, "Oh, Bollywood movies are you know, uh, it's different." But you you are telling in a different thought process. Yeah, you you are exactly right. They are crazy people. You know, because, <laughs> let me tell you, because it's all Hollywood driven. You know, if I if I mm-hmm. you know people may not some people may not accept it uh, because. Hollywood has become big, like an action movies or anything, you know, just see Spielberg, Schindler's List, you know, it's a beautiful storytelling, you know, those things, you know, the old Spielberg movies also, you know, uh, or anybody's, you know, uh, so it has become like, you know, from technology to storytelling, uh, there in India, if you, because I went after 10 years, when I came here and went, they have a, still they have the same concept of Hollywood. You know, mm-hmm. the, basically the quality. That's why, William, you're telling that's good coming from you, you know, being born here, being in the film industry here, like, you know, production and everything. And you have recognized and I'm going to share your things to a lot of producers there whom I know. Uh, that's what they are trying to do. But there, they don't get that recognition. They Again, people will tell, you, you know, you see that Hollywood movie, you know, James Bond movie or anything, anything Western movie, we are not still there. We are not still there. See, see the concept, see the blockbuster, just example, the blockbuster. You know, that's how you need to tell the story. That's how the blockbuster should happen. But it's a good thing from knowing from your side, they are crazy. You're right. <laughs> they're, they're doing pretty good, you know. I, I have seen some of the... the... The word you use, the Hollywood dream, I <laughs> love that uh, phrase. And um, I feel that when I watch Bollywood movies. I feel the dream. It seems like, I mean, the a couple of movies I've seen... Uh, one that comes to mind is um, there's like a, a a Bollywood version of the Terminator. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's called <laughs> Robot. Uh-huh. Um, well, that's the English name. Um, and it it's the most insane thing I've ever seen. It's so fun <laughs> to watch. Mm-hmm. And you can tell. I mean, you can. I mean, I mean it both because it, it, it's fun, but also you can tell that the people who made it had a dream. And yeah. they they did it, and that's Ex- that's really fun to watch. Exactly right. You're you're one hundred percent right. You know, if uh, th- that's what the director said. You know, whatever you say, the director, uh, robo director. You know, he said the same thing. We want to do it like that, and they came to Hollywood to do some some of the effects, and and now mm-hmm. the things have changed in India because. 
my daughter went to Chapman Film School here in LA and she said, you know, daddy, there is a lot of Indian people coming and doing film production courses, graduate course, undergraduate course here in Hollywood. And then they go back and then, you know, they share that style of making movies. Uh, and then, you know, what you said was real, you know, now youngsters, they want to come here, learn the techniques and everything, do their graduate course or undergraduate course, go back and then, you know, uh, like uh, do everything like, you know, like that. So it is, the, the, yeah, you're right. Bollywood is huge and uh, they may not agree with me, but most of the directors and mainly the technical people always see Hollywood, what Hollywood is doing, what is that they are yeah. doing, what, where is the, you know, how is the lighting doing, how, how, which camera they are using, how, what are they doing, you know, everything, still it is there. And I, I talk with my, you know, colleagues and friends there, and they ask me, hey, what is this, you know, what was that, what is this? And still that uh, learning hung, hunger is still there. And of course, you know, uh, that's, I think that's good Wonderful. for the industry in, uh, in Bollywood that uh, technically and storytelling, everything has gone up a lot. Uh, you know, I don't see much of uh, Bollywood movies, but you know, once in a while I see, I see, wow, wow, they have, they are like par with Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, they're par with Hollywood. And that's about, uh, yeah, Bollywood is always, always fun, you know, when, when you know, basically, I used to edit a lot of movies and uh, funny dancers like, you know, Jessica may, may, may like, you know, 100 <laughs> girls, 100 boys dancing together in a <laughs> wedding and cutting that like, you know, every four beats, you know, two cuts, you know, Andrew, will, Andrew and William can understand that every four beats there are two cuts. That's what the director wants. Funny thing. There is no continuity. But at the end, you see, it's fun, you know. Songs, songs are, you know, the Bollywood songs are like that, so, you know. Uh, the director, once I was editing, he said, Pindu, don't even imagine about the you know, continuity. The hand is like that. We just go to <laughs> location change, dress change, everything. You just cut it out. Okay, sir, whatever you want, I will do it. And, you know, when I was laughing, you know, I know you laugh. There is no continuity and everything. But that's how, that, that's how people like, that's the market there. Mm. That's nice to hear. I feel like uh, one thing I don't like, I don't like talking about things like continuity errors and things like that when I'm watching a movie. Mm -hmm. When I'm making a movie, it's a different story. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. That stuff's not interesting to me. I feel like the like like if you can get beyond that and focus on what they're trying to do rather than what they didn't do, you're going to have a better time with watching something, you know. You, you're 100%, but I failed in that, uh, William. <laughs> Whenever I see, mainly now my daughter came out from the school. If there's any continuity out in when we are watching movies, she just sees my face and then I see her smile. But my, my wife has made it very clear, don't talk about anything. <laughs> like, like, as you said, just watch the movie. Don't talk about anything. Then you guys talk, I will walk out. You are exactly right. I <laughs> am trying to 
I'm trying to learn like that, William, what you've told. See as what you see. Just forget about anything. You know, the, whatever the, may happen. Yeah. The Room would not be William's favorite movie if he focused on continuity errors all the time. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Bindu, as, as a cinephile and a film lover, I could honestly talk about this all day. But yes. because you are the most interesting person in the room, Okay. <laughs> I, I want I want to bring it back to you. Is is the Hollywood dream why you came out to America in the first place? Um, like, what was the reason for you coming here? Oh, that's a good question. So you know, as you know, that I was having my own production team, production studio, and everything. And in 1991, my brother came from United States to see us. Uh, and then he saw my uh, company and everything. And then he's very close. And he asked, hey, how, 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 how are you doing financially? I said, I told him, I'm struggling, you know, still struggling like that. And uh, he said, what's your plans for another five years? Where, where, do, where do you stand financially? Uh, you know, it, it takes some time, blah, 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 I told him. And then he gave me an option. You know, you're doing so well here. Why can't you come to Bay Area and you have got more opportunities if you want to do the same thing in Bay Area, you have got, you know, more stability and I will support you. Think about it. And he left. Uh, in India, you know that uh, when I was there, there was only one television station that was under federal government. Mm. Uh, it was pretty hard to get to do a production for them because uh, they're very of, strict. Uh, huh? They're very strict. Uh, strict, and uh, it is pretty hard. You need to pay some, you know, uh, money to get it done. Uh, you know, make favors. I did for some time, and uh, you know, I was having a loan, and I took a bank loan, and. Uh, and my brother said, you know, hey, this will take years for you to pay back. And when is that you're going to make your livelihood? And, you know, I know you have a passion for this and you're doing this. You're doing good. You will do it. But, you know, this is what it is. And uh, here is the open invitation from me. You want to do it? Think about it. And he left. Within a month, I made my decision. I talked with my, you know, surroundings and everything and then I said I wrapped it up within six months I told my brother I'm coming there wow and uh, I think that was the best decision I took in my life uh, wow and then I landed here and that's how you know I landed here and then started as a technician here scratch one total base from the base as an AV technician and uh, it was good and uh, I grew up and then uh, I started my own television show in San Francisco on Channel 26 every mm. Saturday. It was on Indian music and dance. I was producing here. Uh, wow. Whoever comes here uh, producing for about, we did for six years with some sponsors. Uh, parallelly, I was doing freelance work in the US 
for you know video production video editing i showed my talent you know my brother made it very clear you're in us you have to sell yourself otherwise there are thousands of people they will just walk on you if you yeah. don't sell yourself you're gone i'm sorry mm-hmm. and uh of course he was my backbone here was um, he the reason you came to bay area and not let's say los angeles correct he was in the bay area and uh did so, you ever have did you ever have visions or dreams of going to Hollywood or LA after you got settled in the Bay Area? Yeah, still I have even today. You I still do. <laughs> still do have. Well, your uh, daughter's doing that for you. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, still I have, you know, my daughter says, "Hey daddy, you need to come to LA and you know, just join a production company. You'll be good, you know. You have skills and they will love you." Yeah, I'll, I told her, let, let me think about it. But, you know, coming back to Stanford. So I was doing, coming back to my story, I was doing some freelance work. And my, my brother was working in the hospital at that time. Uh, so he introduced me to some of the folks who are doing video production. And I was started doing some freelance work for the hospital. And uh, that's how... I came to know a job in the medical school. It was funny. I was in India at that time on a vacation. Uh, Lane Medical Library posted audio instructional audio visual, head of instructional audio visual. That was the title. My uncle sends me this <laughs> letter. Hey, you see this? I think you should apply this. Okay, I will apply. I applied from there itself. And then I got the interview. Uh, interview process was like a day, one day interview process. <laughs> and it was fun to see the entire thing. And that's how I joined medical school. And as of today, I don't regret. I love it. A lot of things have changed from audio video production da, da, da. The, my bosses have changed and uh, i'm still happy at where i am and basically joining you guys at tech you know <laughs> who was like i was thinking uh, you know i need a team who can understand what i am doing now you know you guys mm-hmm. are better than me you know the team people who knows production better than me so this is the time that i'm enjoying a lot learning from each and everyone and <laughs> there's no better sh- than there's no better than or worse than <laughs> bindu we're a team yeah exactly no no because i i think you know because I, I i know who has got what and i know what to ask that was a great thing to join edtech i'm not like you know praising edtech because i joined edtech uh, the team, I'm talking about the production team, what they do and what we all together do and give back to the medical you know, world. And uh, that's how I landed in um, Stanford Medical School and still enjoying. I think this is my 22nd year, I think so. Wow. Wow. Uh, 19, wow. 1999, May 17th was my first day at Stanford wow. Medical School. I remember still that, that day. And, you know, uh, still, you know, still I tell my brother, of course, my brother is in New York now. He's, uh, he's, he's working there as a CTO for uh, 
what was that hospital a huge hospital is there i forgot his that name uh, william may know you know i'm sorry is it mount if sinai I, or new york presbyterian no it's a consortium it's uh i will i will let you know so he's there he's uh he's in new york um so that's why anyone asks me about and uh, i tell my brother's name my, i you know of course he has helped for a lot of people and i always tell you know thank you for him you know i cannot forget because of him i'm here today that's period no questions asked so uh, when you when you first came to stanford um you said you joined the av team for the medical school and it, i think if if i if i'm not mistaken you've been working with the av team up until maybe like two or three years ago, right before you joined, officially joined EdTech. Can you well, describe? First, he was with the library. Oh, right, right, right. So the library first, yeah, before Li Ka-shing <laughs> um, propped up and you joined the AV Tech team. I mean, what can you describe the difference between the work you do now and the work you did then with AV Tech? Yeah. Sure. You know, when I joined in Lane Medical Library, there was nothing called the AV team. I created the AV team, you know, and got two, three people under me and then started the AV team. And, uh, you know, that was fun at that time, 1999, 2000. And slowly it, the video came up, you know. I don't know if you guys remember, the first streaming video was from Real Networks. So we installed the real networks and captured the video uh, production, uh, started the video production for the classes in 1999. Uh, so basically we, we got the camera, we got the cart, running the cart for each and every classroom in all way, capturing and then editing that one on Premiere at that time. And then, you know, uh, posting it on the web for the streaming, for the video on demand. Uh, when I did that video and a lot of people in the faculty and everything, oh, you have a pretty good video background here, man. I said, that is that was my background. <laughs> so that's how the video started. And uh, I slowly uh, did video and AV at that time. And then it changed to, you know, Lika Shin was coming up and I was heavily involved in the design process, you know, uh, for the AV and video capture in the Likashing. Mm. Um, so that came up and then, you know, I was in, uh, basically, you know, our team at that time was called EdTech, Educational Technology. That's right. Mm. Yeah, that, it, I think you remember, you remember that. And then uh, it was, it was, it is different answering your question that was AV. I was a little bit on the AV side a lot but missing the video production like what we do now and uh, i was missing that but you know av was one of my pretty big uh, ambition and uh, was doing pretty well and even today i can do av not a problem at all uh, and then you know when the merger happened all these things happened and i was pulled to this one and thank you for I don't know who recognized it. I think it was a uh, lot of people. Hey, Bindu will be good here, then there and everything. And I came here. The, the change was pretty good for me and I loved it. And uh, 
AV and video production is totally different, Andrew, answering your question. Uh, it is, you know, you can put 60% on AV and 40% on video. Video is only, I would say, about 20% of audiovisual what I was doing. Mm. Because it was a lot of support system and everything. Video was a part of that. But now, video is one, you know, is the one which, you know, which I'm doing. That's what, you know, I was missing. And I think it's the right time for me to do this one and uh, enjoy. So now that you've, like. you've transitioned to video production, what, what are some of the projects you're working on? Uh, some of the projects I'm working on. Basically, as of now, um, I just finished. Uh, I will, Let me tell you exactly what that name stands for. Uh, it's called uh, Seriousness Illness Care Program. That's what I'm working on that. Uh, they did uh, everything on uh, Zoom recording with a high quality 1080p slides and audio with uh, with the uh, face. So I'm putting together wherever is necessary. You know, the introduction will be the person coming and introducing, and then the face with PowerPoint with some insert of the live video that they have shot. Uh, lot of media going around that some titles and everything cleaning up the audio so that is the one i like and uh, and then i'm using this frame io which is one of the greatest tool that i have seen <laughs> let me i need to thank attack for like <laughs> introducing really me to that introducing me to that you know, Dila was the one who taught me a lot you know hey window this is how i i she's my person who if i got any questions i call her she's just like that <laughs> like that and now i think i got the hang of that uh that's what i'm working now uh previous one you know i worked with william about the covid 19 that was mm -hmm. one of the very good teamwork that i would say uh how the entire thing was brought together in a professional way. This is what I was looking at. I wanted somebody to do the coloring, somebody to do the edit, I do the shooting. You know, there, there should be four or five people doing on a production, like real production, and uh, learn a lot of things. At the end, you know, I would like to give kudos to William, did a fantastic editing on that. You know, I'm an editor, you know, I edit, you know, but he his storytelling was really, really good, and I liked it, you know. Uh, I like hearing you say that you think that filming should be done with a team of four or five because mm -hmm. you often are a one-man band. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're, yeah, I thank you. Thank you. You, you got that one. And, you know, uh, I can talk about that for a long time, Andrew. You know, that was pretty well done. And, of course, it was a stress going in and out, you know, in the lab. It was so tensed in the lab. Uh, you know, more than tens, you know, in my mind, oh, I should be careful here. It is a lab and I can see all those things happening. You know, Dr. Manu came and talked and he showed us. And then the funny part was William told, no, I want this shot again. I want this shot in 60 frames. I want this shot. This is not good. I, 
see that's what we want in a production when i edit i have sent movie people movie people have told the director no this is not a good shot go and reshoot it please for me and they have done it and that's what i did now for william i loved it because i want somebody to tell dude bindu you're doing i i did not like that it is <laughs> it is the product we are all working on i should not be angry i you know i am editor I, i i should not be angry with william come on william i know how to edit this why are you telling this you can color match this you can do that you know you can do some tricks of that he was specific this is what i want and and then i thought okay hey that's good william knows what he's talking and i gave him four shots and he picked up one whoop that's what it's done and 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 end product just see the end product that's what i would i want that's how that's why i like the teamwork here uh we don't have ego problems i can tell anything to william or andrew andrew i do not yeah. understand if i don't know i'm going to come and ask you guys and you don't know you're going to come and ask me and this mainly this covid-19 it opened my mind about edtech i'm a new person to edtech you know and i have worked with you all but in depth i have worked mostly with jessica because jessica and we worked a lot of stuff there and but the other team doing you know william is in new york we are here i would say that was pretty well done project uh you know with with the timeline what they gave us you know it was like william was working day and night and i was pushing it to the you know from my raw footage it took me two days from my house because it's slow upload is slow in america you know <laughs> 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 I know upload to anything here is slow uh, only if I am you know it it uh, you know just to summarize that that was a good introduction production for me with the attack talented people that's what I would like to say so uh, I'm looking forward to more I'm sorry William is looking, looking forward to more Oh yeah, of course. We will yeah. do more. We have to do more. When you switched over to EdTech, uh that was right as the as most of the team moved to the Redwood City campus, so it was just me, you, and Irfan in our little office in LKSC and we worked on a few projects together there. And so since COVID because of shelter in place, you've been able to work with more of the team. it sounds like um because of remote work which sounds right. yeah ironic in a way yeah <laughs> you're right you're right yeah exactly right um exactly. has anything else changed for you you seem like one of our uh people who does really want to go into campus um even during shelter in place so exactly how has that. work changed for you oh that's that's a good question yeah you know first first one month two month yeah it was okay afterwards i thought man you know basically i i like people you know i like to be with people talk to people not your work other things and you know and we have a beautiful studio there two studios and you know whenever i had time i was going and helping and uh, you know working with jessica with that and you know helping people it was so fun i wanted to involve more in that And, and that's what i want to do more you know support the studio with jessica and then you know uh that's one thing that i was missing but you know 
I learned a lot of stuff by being at home and a lot of work was uh, done. Uh, but for me, still, you know, I'm, I'm a people's person. I want to go to campus and, you know, meet people, support people, help them and basically shoot, you know, on the, on the set. Like we used to go to, I used to go to LPC and shoot every month two videos for Dr. Gab, you know, uh, Abby, Dr. Abby, and uh, do those things. And uh, those things have all stopped now. And, you know, we were exchanging emails. Dr. Abby was telling Hibindo, you know, I think the vaccination is coming up, so we may get back again. I said, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, those are the things that I missed. But... This is, this sitting at home and working uh, gave me a different thought process. And now I'm learning a lot of stuff online and uh, work is as usual, but still every day I miss Stanford because just imagine 21 years I've been coming every day to Stanford. And that is what I miss. You know, some days it is busy, some days it's not busy. I know, you know that, that's, that's the nature of any work. But coming there and mingling to people, learning from that place is very important for me, uh, interaction-wise. But, you know, hey, this is what it is, learning some other stuff. And did a fantastic, as you said, Jessica, did a good production with William and team. You know, learned about William and everything. And uh, that was that was... That's what I would say and looking forward to come back. Um, so at EdTech, we have a huge focus on storytelling and that um, seems to have had a huge impact on your life. Can you tell us how you try to incorporate or think about storytelling into the everyday work that you do for us? Yeah, you know, I got a pretty good experience making failures I have done I have you know not done good job I have failed and that's how I have learned a lot of stuff uh, if you ask me the process you know for example if there is any shoot tomorrow you call me for a shoot and tell me when you come in just shoot it but I'm not going to say I'm going to ask you a thousand questions you got to know gonna, what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to ask. I want to ask a story. I'm going to ask where we are doing, what we are doing. And basically coming back, if I'm a camera guy, I want to make sure my gear is all perfectly. I'm going to do my homework, shoot for about five, 10 minutes with all my settings, all my picture profiles, all my lighting and everything in my house. I did this one for the COVID, this one, like, you know, I was having time. I do a lot of homework and I think about the location, you know, what time we are doing. Are we doing at 12 o'clock or 10 o'clock? How the light will come from inside, you know, outside light is going to reflect. And if I could get what the color of the walls are. So those are the one that I learned very hard way, Jessica. Even in my life, you know, simple things, you know, one thing I have learned is do not assume things from my parents, my brother, my elder, and even, you know, from, from my team where I have worked, do not assume things, ask questions. And if you assume anything, 
uh, I think that's the first step for failure. So if you're doing anything, ask them. It is not uh, this one, you know, it's not wrong. You know, uh, when I joined EdTech, I was thinking, whom should I ask? And I was just putting on that Slack, beautiful Slack channel. And people were helping me. And still I got that problem, asking problem. Like, you know, hey, can I ask this? Or some people, Jessica may think something wrong. Or she may think I'm a dumb person here. But <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm going away of that. You need to ask. If I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't know, I need to ask. So that's how my process works. Um, assuming things is not a good idea. Planning, you know, uh, is what I really believe in that. And even tomorrow I do mistakes, you know. Mistakes is part of my life, of anybody's life. And uh, just move on with that, learn from the mistakes and uh, move on. That's what, you know, um, I do. Well, to, to kind of go off that and to end on a positive note, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think we've covered, uh, like, we've barely scratched the surface of all the things that you've done. I mean, we haven't even talked about how you've helped your wife's uh, dance group, uh, filming them and stuff like that. I mean, we, you've done so much in your life. Is there anything that stands out to you as, you know, something you're most proud of? having done? The most proud, you know, joining Stanford is my biggest one because after so many years, I learned I'm doing something for the medical field that I'm uh, in part of something big happening at the medical school or medical world. And that's one of the biggest thing that I can tell you. It has happened to me joining Stanford University. And, uh, you don't know how much I was dreaming about Stanford when I was in India. I think that dream came true. And then that's why still I am at Stanford for a long time. People ask me, hey, you're 21 years. Oh, how, how is it Stanford? And Andrew answering your question, that's my big thing. And the people here at Stanford opened arms to me, you know, helped me taught me uh, the life and how to work and it gave me everything. I think I would, I would say Stanford is one of the biggest. There are some other things, but one answer is the Stanford. That it has given my family, me, happiness and the team whom I have worked with. As of today, I don't have any problem with anybody since about 21 years. I'm not fought with anybody and I don't know, people like me or hate me. I don't know what nobody has told me about. They that. like you, Bindu. <laughs> I think everyone likes you, Bindu. I like so, you, Bindu. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's my answer, Andrew. Stanford University. I would say this this is the knowledge of the world, let me tell you. I have you know I can talk about Stanford a lot, but that's that's one of my biggest achievements. Well thank you. Thank you, Stanford. Bindu, <laughs> on behalf of Stanford, the feeling is mutual. Uh, we love you. We love having you on this team and all of the amazing work that you've done um, for Stanford Medicine. It's just an incredible career. And 
I'm glad we didn't talk about everything today. It means we can have you back uh, to talk more about when you were doing dance. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And about, <laughs> That's a long story. <laughs> and about space and presidents. We have so many more topics to talk about yes. the next yes, time yes. we have you back. Um, exactly. What a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bindu. Thank you, Bindu. Thank you so much for giving this opportunity to be on the podcast. Thank you, William, Andrew, and Jessica. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Bindu. And thank you for those recommendations for the movies. Oh, okay. That's right. joining us today. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast. Have a great day.